Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast that brings you the best and the brightest in the world of startups and innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, founder of InsideOutside.io, a provider of research, events, and consulting services that help innovators and entrepreneurs build better products, launch new ideas, and compete in a world of change and disruption. Each week, we'll give you a front row seat to the latest thinking, tools, tactics, and trends in collaborative innovation. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger. And as always, we have another mover, shaker, builder, maker person that we want to introduce to our audience. Today, we have the amazing Gary Shapiro. If you're not familiar with Gary, he is the person who created the CES phenomena. He is an author. We wanted to have him on the show to talk about his new book called Ninja Future, Secrets to Success in the New World of Innovation. Welcome, Gary, to the show. Well, thank you, Brian, for having me. It's such an important thing that you're doing with such a great audience. I'm excited to have you on the show because a lot of our audience is in this midst of thinking about how do we navigate in this world of disruption and change. And you've been at the center of that for a number of years. So I wanted to first talk about how did you get involved in innovation and how has it become such an important part of your journey? That's a great question. I certainly did not wake up one day and say, hey, I want to focus on innovation or go in this. I Like a lot of things in life, I was just trying to make money, survive. I ended up going to school in Washington, D.C., and I needed a job literally to eat. And I ended up with the, the first job I saw was one on Capitol Hill working for a congressman. And from that, I worked for a consulting company, which ended up having this association as their client. And I ended up working full-time as an outside consultant. And they said, you know, rather than pay you the huge amounts that you're going to your corporate master's, What if we just hired you full-time? And I had been to the CES, the trade show, which had started in 1967 as a consultant. I thought it was the most exciting thing I've ever seen in my life. It was just literally hundreds of different companies showing the newest technology, and you could just feel the excitement in the air and the joy and the serendipity and (laughs) basically the business and the possibility. And then I went to my first meeting of this very big board, and it was headed by the largest exhibitor at the trade show at the time. And they were debating whether or not to raise the cost of exhibiting. And he said something which I'll never forget. He said, you know, to us as a big company, this expense doesn't matter. You know, we spend so much money building a booth and transportation and hospitality. The cost of the floor space is irrelevant to us. It's a rounding error. He says, but we always have to make this event so that anyone with an idea can expose it to thousands of potential buyers or investors or media. And since then, we've kept that spirit alive. It's the spirit that the trade show has run for the smallest company, the startup. And we've actually magnified it in the last few years. We created a special startup area. We subsidize it. And now it's grown to over 1,200 companies. And everyone from the big company partners to the media, to the Mark Cubans and Shark Tanks of the world and others go by there. And it's exhilarating for the startups. So they always get something out of it and they appreciate it. So how I ended up this way is like sheer chance. I mean, I did some stuff when I was younger that was always doing work of some type, which somehow <laughs> seems relevant to this. And it worked for me. So it was just work my butt off. I loved it. But then I realized that because of what happened early on in my career, there was a lawsuit basically challenging the legality of breakthrough product, the VCR at the time. Mm-hmm. And somehow it became the centerpiece for the, all the efforts and policy and even parts of the lawsuit, I just started coordinating like 20 or 30 different lawyers, lobbyists, consultants, and others. And I became a spokesman on the issue. I testified before Congress a lot on it. 
and fought for this new thing, innovation. And I did get into some spats. There was a disagreement. I thought the the recording function wasn't that important in terms of the marketplace compared to the renting of videos. Mm-hmm. I ended up being right. But then the same thing happened with audio, where there was efforts to restrict audio recording on products. There's a long history there. And, and we kept going on as, as new things happened, whether it was colorization or the PC or the internet itself, or even more recently, new business formats like sharing services such as Airbnb or yeah. Lyft or Uber. We attracted all those companies. And so like we fight for change here. We believe in change. We think change is a good thing. It's a oh. difficult thing in a trade association because you have competitors and mm-hmm. some of the existing status quo companies sitting around the table, but it's an article of faith at our organization that we have to fight for the innovators and the breakthrough technologies and things like that. Well, it clearly shows you have 100,000 plus people that come to that event every year, and it really is or has become that showcase for what's the next thing. But it probably hasn't always been that. Imagine that over the course of the years, there have been years where you thought something was going to be a breakout hit or, or, or not so much or all this change over the years, do you see or feel like we're at a different inflection point than we have been maybe 20 years ago when you started covering some of this stuff? I think we are, because I think the pace of change has continued to accelerate. I mean, it used to be the Moore's Law was pretty predictable. Every 18 months or so, you'd double the capacity and speeds, and, and that produced a whole some predictable products, some not. I mean, certainly there's been a lot of breakthroughs in different areas, but now we're starting to see, in a sense, we see part of the future in some areas that we know are coming, whether it's we know that you know robotics will be big for the next 20 or 30 years or so and keep getting better. We know artificial intelligence mm-hmm. is rapidly increasing. We're on our path to a self-driving car. We see consumers like just buying up tremendously all the different features that get you to self-driving. We had to upgrade our own sales forecast by a billion dollars a few months ago for 2018. So we see a tremendous interest. We know the technology is there. Sometimes we're wrong. I've been wrong. I mean, you know what? I remember telling Bill Gates that, you know, what he was introducing at CES, he was practicing his keynote and he said, oh, this is so significant. I was so wrong. I mean, it was the freaking dancing paperclip called Bob and it became the biggest pain in the neck when using him computer with Microsoft on it. You couldn't get it off. It turned out it was something that his wife had been heading the project at Microsoft and no one told him it was a bad idea. I told him it was a good <laughs> idea. I was so wrong about that. It was like the biggest, most frustrating product. And so sometimes I've been wrong, but generally I've been right. Like for example, high definition television. I bought a lot of people in the US and I even gave my first overseas trip in Europe talking about that HDTV is something that consumers will want and they'll love and it's really important. In Europe, you're doing it wrong because consumers will go around you and that's what happened in Europe. That's to change the whole approach because Consumers just started getting HDTV off the satellite and avoiding their local broadcasters. You know, I am certain that the self-driving car is going to be a huge hit. There's no question robotics will be big, AI will be big, drones are coming to do a whole bunch of things. We'll have, in a sense, flying cars in the next 10 or 20 years or so. We'll be doing all sorts of different things. And then there's the whole medical area, which is undergoing radical transformation. Even just how we deal with cancer, there's something called focused ultrasound, which is in many cases, it's an outpatient treatment as an alternative to chemotherapy or radiation therapy. There's gene-specific treatments. There's also treatments involving just the how we deal with pain, where there's devices which can do something where you may not need drugs, and that's a hmm. very promising area. So when I see what's going to happen, I'm pretty optimistic about the future and the pace of change, and you see these sensing devices, the microelectromechanical systems. You get a lot of bright entrepreneurs figuring out ways to put those together, create new devices, new things that, that serve consumers and contribute to our health and safety and 
ability to stay connected, the way we move around. Look at the phenomenon that's happening in a lot of cities around the world now with these electric bikes yeah, that are out there. Yeah, micro-mobility and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Right. So we're well, seeing rapid change in many different areas, I guess is my point. I think you're also seeing the fact that technology, it seemed to be much more like a vertical-focused arena, and you were in tech. But now it seems like technology itself is horizontal and ubiquitous and interconnected with all these other things out there. So it's no longer about technology per se. It's it's about how those technology and tools actually integrate with the other things that are going on in the universe around Brian, us. Brian, I totally agree with that point. In fact, whereas 10 years ago, I would say, you know, what's the point of an MBA? It's not a good degree. Now I respect those who get it because they're taught that. They're taught mm -hmm. to work in a team across cultures, across environments, to deal with different things. As I say, to be ninjas, to deal with yeah. change that's rapid and to do so. So you, the whole path to corporate success used to be you move up in one vertical industry in a company in one specialty, you may be a branch out, you go overseas, you do something, get experience. Total opposite today. Today you want to move up quickly, you have to show a, a set of skills, which means cutting deals, dealing with different industries, getting outside your vertical. In fact, the whole concept of creativity and innovation to me is focused on your ability to put totally disparate things together. Mm -hmm. I tell people advise and my employees and my kids that get out of your comfort zone. Just go do something different, you know. Go somewhere else. Go to a conference that you wouldn't otherwise go to. Go listen. Creativity is taking disparate ideas and putting them together in a useful way. And that's what innovation is about if someone's willing to pay for it. So, you know, I get excited when I see all these things out there. And some of the innovations, as I said, are certainly we know where we're going uh, with mm -hmm. technology, you know, self-driving cars and robotics and things like that. But others, we just don't know where we're going and people will figure out things that are amazing services that people will want. And right now, the United States is doing really well, leading in the marketplace of ideas. But, you know, I am concerned, honestly, because you have artificial intelligence. It's such an important part of the future. And there's a battle going on. And China, China is positioned. You know, China has no privacy laws. Right. They have 1.4 billion people that speak the same language. Or, and, and tons of uh, data. <laughs> Well, tons and tons of data, and data is the fuel for AI. And, you know, Europe, I think, has not done that great in innovation, in part because of the rules and the laws and the bureaucracy and increasing their privacy. And there's a trade-off between privacy and innovation. Now, I want to be like the three bears. I want to get the porridge that's really just the right temperature. China, there's no privacy and increasingly a tremendous innovation. Well, it's interesting to see when you talk about China, you know, the other thing that's kind of changing the dynamics there is as it becomes less rural and more urban and, you know, rise of these urban centers all around the country, urbanization has typically led to a rise of creativity and, and innovation itself. And how's that going to play out when the U.S. has in the past have been thought of as that great beacon of innovation and thought, how might that mantle change if China starts to become more, quote unquote, innovative and creative around the space rather than just the executor of a lot of the stuff that has come out in the past? Certainly, China's already on that path. We mm -hmm. uh, started an event in Shanghai every year, CS Asia, and five years ago. And the first show is mostly copy stuff and American companies and Europeans showing innovation. Now we see tremendous amount of innovation from Chinese companies. Now, mm -hmm. definitely some of them, like the internet platforms, things like that, they kept out U.S. companies, they borrowed, and then they copied, and then they improved upon by having tens of thousands of people competing in the marketplace. Yeah, and, the, and they're hungry in China, and they compete. You know, they've taken some of the best things of capitalism. You know, they've excluded a lot of foreign brands, and you know, they're still hungry. We just assume that our ability to be number one is divine intervention, when it's really not. There is something you said about the urbanization. You know, definitely the whole world is becoming more urbanized, including the United States. Right. Uh, you know, it used to be two-thirds live in rural area, and in the next 20 years, we expect about you know, that'll go down to one-third. Right now, it's about 
But there's another phenomenon in the sense of the north versus the south is that places with more variety of climate actually have more economic activity. Hmm. So you see being left behind are Mexico and South America and southern parts of the world. Even in Europe, if you look at these successful countries in Europe, the southern ones, Greece and Italy, are less successful than the northern ones of Germany and Britain. And there's a lot of theories why that occurs. So let's dig into the book a bit. So you are multi-author and you've written a number of different books. This latest is called Ninja Future. Give the audience a little bit understanding of why you decided to take on this particular topic and, and what folks should expect from it. You know, I've talked to a number of consulting company uh, senior people and a lot of people in the industry. And, and I think in the business leadership and government leadership and throughout the world, there's this sense that things are changing really quickly and we don't want to get left behind. How can we make sense of this? So it's a book that's written for people who want to understand what's going on today and where we're likely to go with a whole range of technologies. It's basically to show them that technology is fundamentally changing. You know, I've been saying for years, every company is a technology company. Now that sounds like, oh my gosh, that's so passe. <laughs> you know, and the other thing I've been saying for at least 11 or 12 years is innovate or die. And the problem with a lot of corporate planning is that everyone, you know, assumes that everything's going to stay still when they're doing their planning. But the truth is everyone else is looking at the business environment and making some of the same assumptions. So sometimes you end up with a lot of overcapacity in different areas. Everyone heads the same direction. My whole point on this is that some of those planning exercises are a big waste of time. You know, I don't believe a startup, for example, should have a business plan. I believe you get your prototype out there and you talk to potential customers, you get your idea and you get a lot of feedback, and then you start building and doing things. And once you have a lot of good input, and you act quickly. And no matter what you do, there's going to be change. I mean, all the startups I talk to that participate at CES and Eureka Park, I always say, you know, after four days, your whole business plan is going to change because you're going to get so much feedback. <laughs> right. So don't be stuck in it. I mean, the challenge is, I think, in a lot of planned economies and others is people think you're going to go a certain way. And the other thing that's big and changing is the big companies used to have an advantage, and they still do in some ways. I mean, they certainly have the resources, the money, the people, you know, to massively throw out a product. But the problem they have is that they're very slow to change. They throw too much money. They don't fail fast. They'll be stuck with an old plan and keep executing on it. Right. Whereas if you're a startup, you don't have a lot of money. You have to change to survive. You have to be nimble. And the marketplace is rapidly changing all the time. So in the Ninja concept, which I had in my last book as well, Ninja Innovation, is based on a Japanese warrior. The point is, is that you act like a ninja, as I tell my kids and I tell my employees, you have to be willing to flexibly move and change rapidly. But you have to plan ahead. You have to get a team. And you have to get a team of people that are not like you. you know, diversity breeds innovation. It's another thing we have over China, over most of Asia, frankly, is in the United States, we have an extremely diverse population. And we disagree with each other. Mm -hmm. It doesn't help us move along some social issues. But, you know, we haven't been together for 10,000 years the way that you know, some of the Asian cultures have. Right. They're homogeneous, we're heterogeneous. But I think we're more innovative because of it. We have a lot of different ideas because of it, at least innovation. We're also, I mean, in a sense, genetically predisposed to push against the status quo from you know the fact that we took on the British and the American Revolution, the fact that most of the people who are here derive from people who wanted a better life. And our kids are, are not really good at rote. You know, people panic we're doing so bad on all these, by these global standards on rote tests and science and math. But what we are really good at is asking why or why not, mm -hmm. is opening that lemonade stand. So what Ninja Future is focused on is people who recognize the changes afoot and they want to know how to deal with it. And I give a lot of life hacks for that. I give some ideas. I talk about what's important. I talk about the technologies that are coming. And I also personalize in a way for things in my life which have made a difference. 
So let's unpack that a little bit. You mentioned you talked a little bit about the characteristics or what it takes to be a ninja in today's world. Are there particular things or trends that you saw either within individuals or organizations that make it easier to be more adaptable and curious in this day and age? Well, I, I believe in the Andy Grove founder of Intel philosophy, you have to be paranoid. You can't just rest in your laurels. I mean, that's one thing I convey to my staff all the time. And what you have is almost any company is your reputation. You might have some intellectual property, but it's all about your reputation in what you do. So you have to change. You have to figure out what you're good at and leverage those strengths, no matter what your size of your company. And just being a copycat isn't a recipe to success. You have to figure out what you're really good at, what your unique advantage is. You have to come up with them. You have to be number one in something. And you know, as I said earlier, you have to be able to fail fast and get out and jump quickly. And you know, another great thing about American culture is we have a culture more accepting of failure, and we treat it as partly education than mm-hmm. probably any other culture in the world. I mean, Canada's pretty good. Israel's pretty good. We're pretty good. We're not perfect. I know as an employer, we have almost 200 employees here. If someone's been with a startup, done something, they haven't succeeded. I take that as a badge that they've gotten a hell of a very good education, you know, equivalent to any college education. So, Well, absolutely. And to get a good education, I encourage people to pick up Ninja Future. If people want to find out more about the book or more about yourself, what's the best way to do that? We have a website, cta.tech. Connected to that was our show website. If people are interested in the trade show, CES, which was every January in Las Vegas, we have a lot there. And then what I like about writing the books is it gets to meet readers. I have a following now, and you see how the books have impacted them and their kids, and they've changed their lives. They've gone back to school. They've quit school. They've started businesses. They've become entrepreneurs, and they've done things. This isn't a book about your accounting for your business. This is a book about how to look at the world in a balanced approach, in a balanced way, which gives you an opportunity to succeed. I mean, the truth is I don't want to defraud you here. I am not an entrepreneur or an innovator. I took over a company. We've done very well in part because of the technology that we've brought into and our strategies work. But I am dealing with entrepreneurs all the time. I've met so many startups. And a lot of those startups have grown into bigger companies. And those bigger company CEOs are now volunteering with us and are helping govern us because we're a nonprofit organization. I don't own the company, sadly, but it is owned by the industry. And, and the CES is an industry asset that we work hard to protect, but we also work hard to make it relevant to entrepreneurs. It's a huge asset, and I'm super glad that I had a chance to talk to you and and have you on the Inside Outside Innovation Show. Looking forward to to next year's CES. Maybe we can get you back on and talk about the trends that happen every year. Gary, very much appreciate you being on the show. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for having me. Thanks for what you're doing with the innovators and the entrepreneurs. That's it for another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you want to learn more about our team, our content, our services, check out InsideOutside.io or follow us on Twitter at the IO Podcast or at Artinger. Until next time, go out and innovate.